Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I'm just going down this rabbit hole so hardcore right now. I can't think of any other medium right now that is a step above YouTube videos and video modules, right? Which are becoming saturated. So picture, picture this. People don't want to spend years and years learning bird language or tracking. What if they can put on some glasses or goggles, walk out into the woods and in real time have some AI who's already learned this, start analyzing and interpreting, interpreting tra- the tracks on the ground or the birds in the sky and well, telling it's like them. Iron Man. It's like Iron Man, is. right? In the Iron Man movie, yeah. the very first movie, one of the coolest scenes is when Iron Man lands and he's trying to rescue these villagers. Yes. And all of a sudden you see his like, from Tony Stark's view, you see him like analyze and his his computer, his software goes terrorist, 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 innocent victim, innocent victim, yeah. civilians, whatever. And then he's like, okay. And it it just engages with him just thinking about it, engages yeah. what he needs to do to take care of the, the business. I and forgot was, you were a Marvel nerd. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I love it. Well, that was, that was just like, at, I mean, every person watching that goes, Oh my gosh, the to have that type of power and to be able to like use it to help people and rescue people, what an amazing thing. Like that that scene in a way made the movie because so, at that point you suddenly went, This is uh this is something that he's able to do. And it, and again, it was it is software AI. Well, here's the thing is we're there now. Based. Yeah. We're totally there. The only problem we have that they don't really address in, in Iron Man is bandwidth problem. Sure. We we can't do it in real time yet because the lag is just too much. And so what I've started doing is I've started collecting videos of people making tracks and animals making tracks, not pun intended, videos of bird language, right? Yeah. And what I'm working with a mathematician, I need to find a re- someone who's really good at machine learning to like help us code this, but we're gonna start teaching and artificial intelligence, what bird language is and how it works so that we just take out the real time element, right? But if you if you think about what we'd be capturing, like the data point, if you log on to iNaturalist right now, you can see your map and you can see all these data points organized by year about where animals and species are. The data we would be capturing is essentially what Tom calls the force, right? Or the spirit that moves in and through all things. We can we now can capture that. We just need enough uh, input, data inputs. If it's it's if it's like taking John Young's bird sit, but applying AI to it. If you surround a park with artificial intelligence capturing everything, we don't need to see the entire park to know what animals are where. And so instead of seeing a stationary map, we can now see movement on the map potentially in real time of where animals are. That right there is huge. Let alone the practical uses for for humans. The other thing I've been thinking about too, another way to preserve, again, out of the service model, right? Because if a robot can do it, I'm not, I'm not necessary anymore. Sure, sure. I, I, I do still think we need the experiences. So we, people are going to want to have that facilitated for them. All of our programs now are about the experience, not just the skill, because they can learn the skill on YouTube. They want the experience of learning from a human. Well, people Picture. also make a lot of mistakes, you know, like they'll, they'll watch a video right. and then they will try to do it. And then, but they don't actually even know what mistake they made, but they just know they didn't get the result. And so that will save us as, yeah. as educators, people's no, inability to troubleshoot and, and reason through it logically or intuitively is going to yeah. save us as educators. <laughs>
<laughs> well, and and you know what's interesting, like when I was when I've been teaching children for a lot of times, one of the things that I did at my summer camp was I would just say, all right, we're going to break things down, you know, so we're going to say, all right, let's all go out and gather tinder, kindling, firewood, and and let's talk about, do we need to know about poison ivy in order to gather firewood safely? Do we need to know about ticks? You know, so like when you just look at like how to make a fire, the the yeah. the web of knowledge and awareness and and what kinds of trees is good wood to gather from and what is poor wood the kinds of materials you're using and how dry they are and analyzing the wind and humidity and everything else. All of those factors are things that are very difficult to, to teach. But when we're teaching them, the children, they, you can see that their self-esteem is actually growing with every and awareness, every little it, awareness yeah. and every little thing that they're like, Oh, I'm aware of the wind. Now I'm aware of this. I know where that is. And then by the time they actually get to build the fire and do it, they've now learned how to master a certain level of proficiency to where yeah. they can get that fire every single time. You know, for the most part, it would be very, very difficult for them. And they're only like 11 years old. So, and they know that that's a really valuable skill, even though it's not valued by the majority of people. Most people go, yeah, do right. I have the fire? No, I just turn the heat up on my house. So I don't really need well, to know how to make fire. But well, that's a perfect inside. example. Yeah. That's a perfect example, like you were saying before, of how we got to where we are psychologically is right. things are so easy. We don't have to go through the experience, the, the grit, the 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 tribulations, yeah. if you will, of getting something the hard way, which yeah. yeah, you can turn your stove on and get fire, but everything you learn from learning about the start of a bow drill to getting a bow drill fire, that's a that was a four year journey for me. Yeah, like sure. the amount of growth that happened there as a kid, I couldn't get that anywhere else. Like I definitely didn't get that turning. I actually learned a bow drill fire before I learned how to turn on the stove. I can't imagine. It's really difficult for me to imagine what it's like not having that. But I think we're seeing the effects of that. If you grow up and learn in a stale, sterile environment you're not really learning. You're, you're taking out the most important element, which is nature, because every nature is the best facilitator. It's the common denominator. It's going to get every kid, meet every kid at where they need to for whatever task you assign them. And I think you, I think you said it really, really concisely is that's, it's not just about, it's not about the skill anymore. It's about what you learned getting the skill. And that's and, one of and, the hardest things that's right. to sell to people. Yeah. It's, it will see. That's the beautiful thing about, about these different, like you said, these different archetypes of both both uh, wilderness educators, you know, instructors, if you will, survival skills people, whatever, primitive skills people, and you look at the the archetypes of the students, of the people that are interested. Because for me, the real value of a lot of these wilderness skills is the kind of the developmental gold that's laying in all of these things. Right. It's really, it's irrelevant to me whether a kid goes out and says, hey, I'm going to become a biologist and I'm going to study wolverines. That may never happen. And that's not even my goal. My goal is that as they learn whatever it is we're doing, it helps them to understand, okay, this is how I can ask questions. I can problem solve. I can uh, you know, learn about motivation. I can see what's happening and then, you know, look at my resources and you're going to take all, every single one of those lessons and apply that in your life, you know, right. to your relationships, your job, your school, your family, your career, yourself, 
yourself. So, yeah. so that's the value of it. And it, and when it's positioned that way, I think that there is going there will be a breakthrough in demand because exactly yeah yeah you just you just don't get it. I mean, children, you know, I, I love taking kids out and make a fire when it's like freezing out because guess what? Mm -hmm. They're a hundred percent listening to everything I'm saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're like, if we don't, they're invested. Fire, we're going to die, you know, or we're not going to get to cook our sandwiches over the fire or whatever. So they are, they have that intrinsic motivation, but when things are really comfortable and you're in school and everything's great, you're just not motivated. You know, you're just kind of like, everything's fake. Everything's artificially generated. So right. where's the motivation, you know? And so that's, that's, you know what, it's like what they say, uh, you know, somebody had asked some native person, you know, what makes a good tracker? And the person said, hunger, <laughs> you know, like if, oh, you're yeah. hungry, if you're hungry, you will go out and you will go, where is the animal that I could get so I could eat? 100%. And, and then you go, okay, well, how do I know where they are? Well, you're going to have to look around. And that to me, ultimately, if we don't raise people that are in children, if we don't give them those things to help them in life, then you know, then we'll end up with people like to me, AI is something that could go the route of like Pokemon Go, where people were so obsessed with finding Pokemon on the landscape that they would walk off a cliff or do yeah. things. And you just go like, okay, I think we're getting dumber, right? You know, this is not making us smarter. And so well, pervert the 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 beauty of like what AI has as a potential can be perverted by people that are mentally ill, people that are going to use like, like I wouldn't want everybody in the world to have an Iron Man suit capability because it would just play to our worst, you know, our worst uh, tendencies, I guess, for, for some well, people. So have you heard of the term cyberpunk before? Um, yeah, I've heard of that. Have you heard of the term solar punk? No. So for the, for people not listening, the, the cyberpunk is, the people who believe in and are actively working towards creating a future where technology replaces or augments humans, right? It'll be like right. an altered carbon matrix sort yeah. of future. I Those shows intrigue me, but they always end up terrifying me a little bit. I was introduced to a solar punk a while ago. And when he met me and asked what I did, he got super excited. And this is like a software developer type guy. He's like making skins and and sure. doing all these fancy NFTs. I'm like, why could you possibly be interested in what I do? He's like, well, you're the other side. You're the missing piece to what we're doing. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're, we're, we, I, I consider myself a solar punk. The idea, if, if, if evolution has, and nature has, has taken all this time to build the human body, this genius of engineering, why should I waste my time trying to replicate or augment that? I should use, I should capture the data from that and then build technology off of that in a way that supports that. So it's nature yeah. and technology working together. If you go to like Instagram or something and search in solar punk, you'll get a completely different list of pictures than you will with cyberpunk. And yeah. so I've really been trying to reach these people and be like, how can we build technology in a way that facilitates this type of growth? And one of the questions I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this question is why why do you think we've gotten to a point where people don't want to spend why why don't why why do you think that people don't value the amount of work it takes to make a Baudrill fire? 
why do you think we we prefer doing it the easy way? And and on large scale, I'm using the Baudrillard fire symbolically symbolically Absolutely. for that large scale value. Yeah, right, right. It could you could you could apply it to almost anything, right? So it's like why, you know, if I step outside and I go, oh, that's a cardinal over there. Any eighty percent of people that I would say that to would go, who cares? And then the twenty percent would go, oh, that's neat. How do you know? And then 3% would go, oh, yeah, that's a cardinal. And I think it's a male, you know, <laughs> and you're like, okay, good. Right. So, you know, for a lot of it is, is that anything that takes effort, you can't even get people to read an entire email today, right? If the email oh is God, like three paragraphs real. long, <laughs> they're late, like the attention, the, the amount of effort to gather your forces and then right. turn on your brain and go, let me read what this says and let me then comprehend it. And then I'm going to have to then turn around and create a response. Right. I mean, I can't get people to even like fill out a survey for something that they love, that they say they love. They won't even like take the time to give a two minute survey for a lot of things. So it, it's not think... because they don't love it. It's just that they're either busy or they just... It's just taking that energy. So I think that effort, when it comes to, you know, attention and the effort that is required for them to maintain that, I mm. I, I don't want to I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I do think that there is an incredible amount of intimacy, slash mental, um, anxiety or struggle that being present, being present like we're like we're having right now in this conversation yeah very 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 scary for a lot of people it is being being it's vulnerable hard. with someone else and honest with yourself is a hard combination to do but there, just, that's where all yeah. the value in life comes from so right so that's right. interesting so, so i mean how many people really watch it's... shows and how many people watch tv like i'll be honest i watched the what is it the lord of the rings the amazon version, yeah. whatever that is i watched that Half the time I'm on my phone and I'm just like, why am I on my phone? This is like a millions of dollars. I wasn't. I really like that one. <laughs> and I just go, what the hell is wrong with me, man? And even stuff I want to watch, there's a part of my brain going like, oh, yeah, do this thing. Check this thing. And I'm like, so so and, and so I'm I'm admitting that I'm not I'm not sitting here saying this as like, oh, I'm better than that because I right. I'm, not, I'm not better than that. I'm just like everybody else. But to to actually be present and what, like that's the one thing that I think is going to save movies in some ways is that you could go to a movie theater right. and you you can't be on your phone like you can in your living room. And I don't I just don't I don't have the answer except to say that being present in today's world with late stage capitalism and being present to the fact that we're there's a lot of fear, uh, financial right. fear health insurance, like all the things that we're afraid of, all of that will come rushing in when we're actually being present. That's the fear, I think. And so mm. it's like, push it away, push it away, be distracted. So they're just kind of at that wall of grief and not quite sure how to move past it. Like it, like becoming present and aware, You, it's a double-edged sword. You see all the good, but you see all the bad. Right, that's, right. That's and, but going to a, a live class, if you're in a live program and you do give people that attention, uh, you can then just put your trust in the 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 you know whoever's right. guiding the leadership of that, and and it and it's like you suddenly will start to get that the human interaction and you'll get that dopamine that's coming from something real and you know by the end of those two days or three days you go wow that was really awesome and then you come back home and you're like okay and meanwhile right. it's really scary 
and I'm struggling. I mean, I'm, I'm being dramatic, but I'm not, but I'm not like it's. No, it's, it's, you're, you're going on really good lines of reasoning. And I think you're right. But as, as educators, we have to relate this back to the value of our programs, right? Cause this right. is a really essential, any, any business owner really needs to this, but especially if you're educating people in something that takes work to do, understanding why they wouldn't want to do it is really important. And my biggest frustration, especially when I was a younger instructor was teaching someone who didn't want to learn. Right, right. right. Even when I was in school, I didn't like school. I was still annoyed at the kids who were choosing not to be there and being distracting towards me. And then I realized, oh, this is I, I, if you have an interview or if it's not on your list, you should talk to Carl at Wilderness Fusion because he really clarified this for me. His whole curriculum is about making people aware of their choices and taking responsibility for them because you have to choose to want to go down that four year journey of learning the Bodril fire. Right, right. You have to choose it not once but you have to choose it routinely every time and i think it's easier to make that choice based off of your dopamine addiction or, or whatever distraction is it's easier to make those choices than it is to make another choice and i think that's going to be one of our biggest battles moving forward is we can't make people choose this even if we explain the value to them there's a very, very, very large percentage of the population that won't sure. choose things that are healthy for them. And so in that, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Cowdy mentoring, but there is some value into tricking people into loving something that's healthy for them. That's where my mind's been going lately, because frankly, like I'm getting like, I want to provide the service for people who want to choose it. There's those people out there done. Good. We're on the yeah. same page, but I really want to try and figure out how do we change the cultural values of choosing things that are good for you? Right. You know what I mean? And specifically the thing that we both love and think is important. And, and I think it is because it is a bottleneck to a lot of problems. Like developmentally, if you don't have this stuff as a kid, that's a bottleneck for all kinds of issues to, to stem from. And as a problem solver, I look for the bottlenecks, right? That's yeah. where you find, that's where you catch and find your prey when you're hunting. It's, it's the spot. And that's why I keep going into, you know, where's their attention at? How can we use these dopamine gamified systems to get people to learn and enjoy skills to the point where they want to take off their system and go outside? Because that's a that's a demographic that skills people have not been able to reach. And there's a lot of money there. That's yeah. the thing. There's a ton of money. If I go to an investor and I'm like, look, I have this idea for AI. We're going to not base it off of humans. We're going to base it off of nature. They'll throw money at you. If you do it right, like well, if they especially if they can be the first one to the to the marketplace, yeah, exactly, yeah. What one of the things I was going to say that I just would throw in there is that right now, you know, as we speak, there are millions of kids in a school right now with fluorescent lights, teachers with schools with budgets of a million dollars, even little mm -hmm. rural skill schools, they're getting you know seven million dollars to teach five hundred kids or whatever. So there's a lot of like money tied up and a lot of effort and a lot of these systems, yeah. but the, and the kids are there. They're, I, I want to say they're forced to be there. That's, that would be an extreme way to say it, but literally they are, they are there for their seven hours. And right. a lot of that time, they're just being bumped around. They're doing things that are very repetitive and all good things. Hopefully whatever we know that, that, that modern education is trying to figure its way. And one of the things that I realized was that, you know, if you could find a way to give children who have to be there anyway, but give them just 
multiple experiences where they're a lot of times when I'm doing this, it's their, it's their body that I care about. I want mm, them yeah. to feel, I want the, it, whatever my experience is to awaken their senses because their body was the thing that will bring them back. It's yeah. not their mind. They don't, most of the time we don't really make a lot of decisions mentally. We make them emotionally and our, and we make it. Yeah. With our body. So, so if I can give children, a, a, you know, five or six experiences where their body's going like, man, when this guy Rick comes around and he does his activities, I just feel good. Mm, At the end of that, yeah. I feel really good. So they're going to then migrate towards more of those things as they grow older. And then that's a good one. The piece because they've been exposed to it. Whereas somebody who's never had yeah. any, any idea, it's like right now, like there's probably 20 dishes of Mongolian cuisine that I have never heard of, never tried, probably would love it. But fundamentally from in my world, it doesn't exist because- right. I've never, I've never had an experience of that. That's a really good point, actually. What a way to overcome. Cause, cause yeah, our, the modern education system emphasizes the mind, not really the body. And the reason right. we even started learning math was because our bodies evolved to survive and understand the world through the ecosystem. Yeah. If we learn math, it can take us beyond our senses, but we right. can't lose our senses. And I've, and it's funny now that you point this out, like we do this in our own programs and this is something we value. I've just never actually considered it as a large scale product feature, so to speak. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Well, the other thing, Which, and gonna, that's, go ahead, go ahead. You. That's probably why the Pokemon Go thing took off is it was mixing body stuff with tech stuff right. and there they get to walk around, hang out with their friends. Yeah, no, you're, I think yeah, you're right. You're, you're onto you're something getting, there. You're getting like multiple dopamine hits because you're getting the yeah. thing, but you're also outside. And that's good for you too. Well, what right. the other thing I was going to say that's interesting about the field, and I think it's worth throwing in there, is about two weeks ago, I had this realization where I was thinking about the, the nature education movement that really didn't start until about like 80 years ago, really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with like Aldo Leopold and the, you know, conserve, oh, we need to conserve nature or yeah. to, you know, you have like the environmental educators and the Rachel Carson and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's really not very old. Even the idea that we can learn about nature and that we need to preserve it and we need to connect to it or whatever. And, and prior to that, we were always just, out in nature. Yeah. But but when you look at the modern educational system, when you if you think, I don't know when like the some of the ancient Greeks were around, what 2000 BC or whatever mm -hmm. it is, they were then pioneering, you know, and and not just the ancient Greeks, but all, all those ancient cultures, you know, like the Egyptians yeah. and the uh, you know, the Mesopotamia, the Arabs, uh, you know, all over. But they would have like math and then languages and you know, science and so forth. Right. They had these things that they, that they, you know, that we see now as classic, you know, history. We have these like, classical educational concepts that were like revered and then have been passed down. And mm -hmm. when you think of like, oh yeah, in 1890, what did you learn in school? Well, you learned math, you learned those things that were seen as classic. And so those were really like enshrined and, and it's the reason why, like, your nature program will get axed out of a local school budget. Right. But, but guess what? They're not going to ax math, even, yeah. though, even though for a lot of people, math is really irrelevant in today's world. Right. But but they're not going to ax math. They're not going to ax history. I mean, not. I'm not saying they should, but I'm yeah. just saying it's out of that, you know, monolith um, of these classics, 
trying to squeak in anything to again be associated with that monolith, there's always a resistance on a on a on a subconscious level. So we're it's, well, we're and not even that so the little stepbrother. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not so, even that subconscious either. It's it's that it doesn't fit into their curriculum and they only care right. what's in the curriculum. So you'd have to change it at the curriculum level first. And right. And so that's the thing that I'm thinking is that, A, if you can, if we can move in, instead of thinking about nature as, oh, let's all learn about nature. If you thought about it from the point of view of like human health. Right. And this is what we need to do to keep our hit kids healthy. We need to yeah. meditate. We need to do yoga. We need to go outside and play. We need to do these developmental things so that we can be healthy. So it's a health thing and not a hey, we're going to compete with math. We're going to compete with physics, right? whatever. If anything, we're competing with PE. <laughs> right. And, and then the other thing that I was trying to think about with this is to say, there's also the other element of it, which is um, how do we move? Like, like, can we just go around it all? Like social media popped out. It didn't go, hey, let's get Facebook in schools. It was just like tons of people are having fun on Facebook and that's leveraging the network effect. Everybody yeah. there. So there's this other element, which is that it just comes out and like forest schools have, have taken off in a way like like it's amazing. I don't know what the chart. I don't. I don't know the graph. You would know the graph. You could graph it for me. Actually, no, I haven't looked it's into the pretty, data of it. It's pretty Only, amazing to me. It it is especially so. I know. I know. I can. I felt the. I saw the increases here in in Utah after the pandemic. Especially that's when a lot of it happened, but. Ultimately, they're they're going to end up facing some problems that I don't think they are going to know how to address. Is right. the content they're learning, like you said, doesn't come from a lineage, doesn't actually come from the earth. It comes from the school system. They're still their curriculum standards are still the same, but instead of teaching things, they're now facilitating things, hoping yeah. to get the same results. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, they're doing things like preschool, forest preschool, forest kindergarten. Um, it doesn't, it, it tends to, as soon as you hit to middle school, it's gone. You don't, you it's, don't have that anymore. It's so relegated to daycare. So that's where, which... that's where it's like, you know, so you look at it and you go, how much, you know, it's it definitely not competing with reading, writing, right. arithmetic. Right, right, right. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay. If my kid doesn't learn to read till they're nine, that's okay. But then, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that forest schools advocate that at all. I, that's not true, but I'm just saying that. Parents and everybody has yeah. a certain amount of leeway to go, all right, well, we'll let you guys play in the woods for that. But as soon as they get here, you're going to get a lot more pushback. I don't see as right. many forest high schools. I don't see, uh, you know, because logistically it's just much harder. It's harder to yeah. get, a bunch of, get a bunch of high schoolers and go, who wants to climb a cottonwood tree and who wants to go down by the creek? Right. They, they, they want to talk and hang out with their friends. That's all that's developmentally. That's or they want to be involved in a project that's really meaningful to them. And they, yeah, want yeah. And, and all of a sudden you have 45 projects in your forest school and you're like, okay, how do we manage this? Or maybe we right. don't know. Well, and if you're talking about going the route of getting into education and helping education, they're facing their own problems right now. And it's important to consider those because either way, we're going to have to face the same thing. It's just going to be some lag time. Right. So right now, any English student, if they're getting a, given a prompt, any math student, any any topic whatsoever, if you're given a prompt that you have to write about, you go into ChatGPT, you enter in that prompt, you get information. Right. You you send that through a fact checker. They have that. Then you send it through another 
AI that's so after that, after kids started doing that, they developed an AI to determine whether or not that ChatGBT told them that. Right. So then they developed another AI that scrambles the words, adds a couple of human errors so that that device can't detect that it came from that device. Yeah. So schools are now at a point where technology is caught up and they're like, what you're doing is, is, and, and I, I don't mean to like be, be cruel here because I was public schooled. I do still see value in caring about your education. I'm obviously an educator, but some of the, the measurements and methods they're using are now laughable. I can write a 20 page essay while I'm watching TV because you know, the, the robot's doing it for me. And so there's going to come a point if you take that to the extreme and you pair that with game of games, right? So take Fortnite or any of these video games, take uh, Dungeons and Dragons even is a great example. I, all of our, all of our students play Dungeons and Dragons. Like you have to know your clientele base. So an AI paired with gaming dopamine systems can not only incentivize you better than any human, but it can personalize the content that you need to learn to reach a given goal. It's taking the, the formulas and algorithms of social media, pairing that with an AI assistant. And if you actually set the criteria where you want them and where it's beneficial for the kid, it'll get them there quicker than any human. Right, right. So this is gonna, this is already happening. I can log, I've got a piece of software for my daughter that teaches her what she's learning in kindergarten through a game. She doesn't need the teacher anymore. All she goes to school for at this point is social interaction. And it, it reminds me of the Star Trek movie where you see Spock in his little bubble learning from a machine. And that's kind of where we're headed. And so we have to make a decision. Are we going to lean into that in a way that's healthy? Solar punk. Are we going to try to lean into that in a way that's unhealthy? My personal fear. Or are we going to try and step away from that entirely in a, in a, in our kind of own personal market, if that makes sense, like a different, a different space. And the trend is definitely going technology. I mean, that's what humans do. We're, we're driven towards creating tools. And I was like, all right, I don't want to do personally, like for making tracks, I was like, I don't want the work of having to, you know, manage my own market. The messaging alone is too much. And the value proposition might not meet where people are at. And even though like, so developmentally, I agree, it's totally important, totally right on. We just have to meet them where they're where they're wanting it. And I think some of those gamified systems, even it can still involve getting them in their bodies. I think it'll have to. But that's a problem that education's facing now yeah. that we're going to have to face as soon as that system is completed, because it's going to hit us next. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 where my head goes, because I'm not as concerned about teaching programs personally. We're doing programs, but in doing them, we've done it in a way that can help instructors right all of my instructors i'm like how often do you want to teach part-time full-time great we've got part-time work for you you set your program set your schedule go and the full-time guys like, okay we're going to work on filling your schedule let's collect the data let's make decisions off the data so we can do it as best as we can now that we've got this mostly worked out it's like okay how else can we keep these relevant in a way that people want them especially because telling them like, yeah, you need to get your kids outside developmentally, even as a dad and an outdoor educator myself, we go on hikes, we go camping, we've got our backyard. My daughter still is watching TV, right? It's like there's, and there's reasons why. And we need to look at those reasons and be like, okay, we need to apply this to outdoor education. Otherwise we're going to fall behind. 
Well, I think what's interesting is that back in the day when I was when I was wanting to go out into the woods and learn and everything, I don't even know if half the people listening to this will remember like Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. Oh yeah. And, you know, some of the like really um, you know, the books. I mean, I grew up reading like the, you know, last My Side of the Mountain, all My those, Side, yeah. All these different stories were there. And so all of that filled my imagination. Yeah. And helped me to kind of create a foundation for me for which I can imaginatively build the desire to then say, oh, I'm seeing this in the real world. I want to go towards that. That's cool. I want to be part of that. Right. Today, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to know what is the, where is the imaginative source that children in a program are coming from? Is it coming from SpongeBob? Is it coming from Lord of the Rings? Is it coming from oh, yeah. Hunger Games? Is it coming from uh, whatever, Marvel, you know? And so, like, I think that was what's interesting about, like, Tony Dice in at the um, the Trackers Earth groups over in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. They spent a lot of time doing, like, uh, what do you call it, that uh, live action role play games in camp. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, let's find out where are they at imaginatively. I think they're one of the only successful franchises in the industry, which... Yeah is pretty exceptional. I've, I've been watching them and I'm like, I really want to see how they grow. I think they do sacrifice a little bit of quality for quantity, but Hey, if people are getting out there, that's validating the market that helps our messaging. Um, but here's another problem. So that's, that was kind of the thing when I was like in college, right. And, and a little bit younger, my daughter's five. And there was a moment where I was, I was teaching her how to use her mind's eye to hold an image in her head. And I'm like, use your imagination. She's like, what's my imagination? Sure. And I'm like, wait, how has kindergarten not taught you what your imagination is? Like, well, I guess if she's watching TV, she may not actually understand what imagination is yet. Um, right. Well, well, I with, yeah. With the media so, today, it's all fed to you. So you're just yeah. very passive. When you're reading or when you're like wandering outside and just imagining this stick as a sword, Right. Having to engage your imagination. Because otherwise you're like, I'm a kid wandering around in the woods. And you get bored. Nowhere. Yeah. This is stupid. But but it, but but if a kid goes out there and their imagination is kicking in because that's where that's where they live, yeah. they're living in that mythic understand. So like that tree over there is like the the grandfather tree that's taking care of all the animals right. and that's where we can bit that's where we get shelter. And it's like there's these cool pine cones that are so beautiful. So like all of this stuff starts to build out of that. But if and you're kids just sitting that. at home I think that's and going why... like, okay, I'm going to watch SpongeBob and then I'm going to watch yeah. Arthur and then I'm going to watch, uh, you know, whatever's on Disney channel. I mean, my, my kids are older now. So it's like, oh yeah, exactly. we're Drake and Josh coming on. So it's just like, feed me, feed me, feed me. And, and even we like that. We like the Marvel stuff. Like it's not sure. just kids. And oh, yeah. this is why I've been paying. Cause like, on our on our website, we collect data of like, hey, like, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy? Everyone's clicking D and D, and I'm like, I want. I saw a proposal. The Chris Pine, the actor for the movies, like, it should be mandatory in school to have a D and D class. Yes. And when he said that, I was like, that's our way in. You can yeah. learn the skills that your characters would know in D and D, not the magic and stuff like that. Although some of it you could say is magic. Learning how to turn invisible, we teach that. We teach people how to read minds and emotions. That's wizardry, whatever. Right. And you have like, I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Herbalism right there. 
I love what what J.K. Rowling did with Harry Potter, but D and D is taking it to a, an experiential, imaginative, imaginative level. And if we say, "Hey, we can teach you these skills in real life," and they're already in the school program, that's a huge doorway for us. Right. Um, well, it's it's collaborative too, because it's not like you reading a story in your room yeah. and then having it for yourself. You're actually having to collaborate in the game with everybody else. So you're making it up with each other as you go. Which, what do you do in a survival setting? It's the same thing. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, again, these are all, I mean, we're kind of like going down mini rabbit holes in every, in every, yeah. in every way. We're and both pretty really, ADHD that way. <laughs> I really hope, yeah, I'm totally ADHD. I, I really hope that whoever's listening to this is able to keep up. And I know we've thrown out some different like concepts that we didn't stop to describe. But this, to me, this type of conversation that we're having right now, I I feel like that is, this is really key for our, our, our field, the forest educator field. Yeah. We have to actually be actively thinking about uh, at the same time as we are like getting ready for our class that comes off and on in two hours or whatever that we you know, that we balance that because we do want to be ahead of that curve and we yeah. do want to look and say, where are the openings and the niches? Because, you know, there's, there's just, there's people out there that do need these things. And you're, I mean, I really admire the fact that you're doing so well with like, again, trying to figure it out and push into it. All of this is new. It's pioneering. Right. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, this stuff, it's tricky to figure out how do we get paid, especially in a, in certain areas where we're not, yeah. in, we're not in that area, like you were talking about, like where it's uh conservative liberal or, you know, just a fact that it's economically really doing well. So building this, this whole industry it during late stage capitalism, very difficult to do, but we're, we're going to find it, it. We have to find it as human beings. Like we have to make it a priority to find it because if we don't, you know, it it doesn't even work for like, Oh, Oh, if just some people get it, then they're going to be better off because yes, they will be better off until some crazy person who didn't get it comes in and starts shooting up a school and you're like, okay, so, Hey, my kid got it, but then they didn't get it because yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so that's, that's where I think the, the, the emphasis you know, the, the, maybe that underlying radicalism of what we're doing is just so important it is really right. You know. Well, and I think you doing this podcast really helps push that along too. Cause, cause this podcast, remind me if I'm wrong, but this, this podcast is for forest educators, right? To yes. start getting those conversations going. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of what we're, what we're talking about is really, really specialized and may sound like it's way out of left field to someone who's not familiar with the skills industry. But if you if you follow up this podcast series you're doing with a, uh, you know, uh, one for the customer, so to speak. Sure. We can, we can get back here and talk about all these concepts at the entry level space of of this of these concepts, because right now I've been speaking as an instructor to other instructors listening, which yeah. hopefully instructors are listening to podcasts. I don't know if they are. I haven't done that research, but um there's a lot of people i think that want to get into this stuff and then they kind of want to learn and know yeah. what's going on, but there's no place to really go you know if you go to someone's website it's very clean and sterile it's kind of like here's what i do look at what i do. you know this is what i offer and and it doesn't necessarily tell you the nitty-gritty behind the scenes like what are we trying to accomplish and 
what are you know where are we going and yeah i do agree that we do need more um uh, vehicles or if you will to help people who are interested in maybe getting involved in this to get to get that entry level uh, excitement get to find the inspiration really um, yeah well that was that was one of the initial problems i set out solving too is how do we create new instructors without in another way besides just sending them through a program and that's where yeah. certification comes in but not enough people wanted it at the time i hope someone can come up with that because that would give people an in like it does with the woofer or the the medical certification side of things but right, you know right. when when i have people come to me like hey i want to learn how to do this i'm like i i have to be like is this good data or is this bad data? Do you want to have the skills and know the things or do you want to learn this? Cause that's two yeah. different things. Um, right, right. And if there were, yeah. 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 And so it's the, the best way I think is to still get people. Cause I mean, Larry D. Nelson, he started it at BYU at a college. So you could get a good degree in it if you wanted. And that I thought was cool, but I think still it's like you, on your resume, you just kind of put, I've worked at these schools and we have to then be familiar with those schools when we're hiring. And that may still be the best way to do it. We have making tracks built out so that if you're familiar with the concepts of the sit spot, if you have some skills to teach, and if you can facilitate games and wandering, teach, facilitate, and mentor, you're hired. It doesn't have to be anything specific. Our, our curriculum is simple. And I say simple, not as like, as a, um, um, a put down to this but it's it's simple enough that it's inclusive and broad enough to still be specific which sounds oxymoronic but yeah yeah that's everything we're doing is to try and make this easier and more accessible both to the customer and the instructor to make it a viable business option for them um and it is it is a lot easier if you don't have to do insurance if you don't have to do marketing if you don't have to do finances legal stuff all this overhead if you don't have a location or rent all you have to do is Here's what I want to teach. Here's what I want to teach it. Show up and teach. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. I and think anything else brilliant. for us is bonus. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I think that what you're, if you can help your instructors to understand, like you said, how to not overwhelm people or, or maybe, well, start, you know, you don't want to start with like your most radical reason for why you're doing this. Right. You know, where it all of a sudden, like, take somebody who's half on the bus and then they suddenly go, Oh, I'm not, I'm not on the bus anymore. You know? So well, like that's what we're adding to our software is right now. It's just the basics about posting a class. What we've realized, if you read the e-myth, they talk, he talks about this really well is a technician communicates at a technician level. I do the same thing. All instructors do it. I've been using chat GPT in our business to help us communicate this better, but we're getting to a point now where, I'll, I'll tell an instructor, this person doesn't want to go hardcore. They want to keep what you would consider like a walk in the park. That's hard for them. So now the instructor, I, they don't have to even do that anymore. I'll yeah. tell them at what level to teach because I've gotten that system. We're almost where we can automate it. But now they don't even have to worry about their communication. I can just show up. Here's what they want to teach. You do you. What you are is perfect. That's what we Absolutely. need. We need you. Absolutely. Because if we ask, if we ask instructors to do all these things we're talking about, change, keep all these things in tech, they're not going to want to do it. I'd certainly barely wanted to do it. It's only after three or four years of this that I'm now starting to enjoy the challenge of it. Right. Um, I, I, want I want our instructors who work for us to not have to worry about any of that. 
Right. We have a team of people, marketing, uh, finance, legal, uh, web development, social media. We've got we've got a team of people who are doing that for instructors. I want them to give us their best classes, their their best teaching possible, and just have their passion and do their thing because that's I want them to I want them to get better than me to the point where I'm like irrelevant anymore. Yeah. And then I'll just join in and use the software myself. I think that is our easiest way forward in the short run. But yeah, we still have to be looking out over over the future. Yeah, over that's the true. That's true. And I will say that like my model of like running Hawk Circle and being a summer camp director and then also running, you know, intensive youth programs, it really changed a lot when I suddenly started doing after school programs yeah. and, in like, you know, 16 local public schools. And so all of a sudden when I'm there in those schools and I'm teaching there and I have two hours and I'm in a you know cafeteria or something, it, it forced me to observe and see what do I do and how do I, what, what can I do to make it work? It made me a better instructor. And oh, absolutely. So, so like, you know, would, would I prefer if like the group came to Hawk Circle and I could sit around a campfire and all that? Yes, that would have made my life a lot easier. But it makes us a better instructor. Like sometimes I would go and do a, a workshop for the Audubon Society or something. And I'm I'm suddenly working with 35 people or 40 people, right. all different ages. And I'm trying to find a way to have a good experience for them. It makes you yes. better if you push yourself and you got and you can actually then go, how do I I love doing this kind of program? How do I do that for this population? And how yeah. do I like have you so, ever tried teaching seniors over 60 who can't kneel down to do a Bodro kit? Right, right. That yeah. was a challenge for me. I, I've always loved this part of the work is seeing where we can plug these skills into society and how. And I look at it this way. Any instructor worth their salt who knows the skills, it should be a breeze. It should be easy to teach these skills out in the bush. Yeah. should be easy. Teaching these in a cafeteria, in someone's backyard, in a classroom, exceptionally difficult especially if you only have two hours and you have the hollow materials and you have to create these experiences that are, are a similar a facsimile of what you would normally do out there. And we actually, so we, we hired a couple different levels. We've got our interns, which are a volunteer position, usually for students. Then we have our specialists who are really good at one skill. Like they're a blacksmith or a ceramicist or whatever, or yeah. they're on their way to becoming an instructor. And one of the things they have to show me that they can do is take these skills in a variety of different settings. Yeah. And we have one instructor, we have one specialist who is really nervous about doing that. And I was like, no, like you've got the skills, you've got this. Once you're there, it's going to start making sense. And sure enough, as soon as she shut up, she's like, oh yeah, you just have to switch this. You have to, you know, have to accommodate for this. It's just like being in a new landscape. And yeah. like, exactly. Yeah. It's just a brain switching thing. Yeah. Yeah. In order to teach our corporate classes, you not only have to do that, but you have to do it with people way smarter than you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, and you can't assume that everybody is like, oh, you've never been in the woods before or whatever, because they'll they'll turn around and say, oh, yeah, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro three weeks Or ago, I'm a hunter, yeah. And blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions and everything. It, you know what? We'll have to have another uh, interview because we could go down. We could talk Oh, yeah, yeah. This one's getting long, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, if anybody's listening here and uh, have made it to the end, congratulations. Uh, there are, I'm going to put links to uh, all of the different things that we referenced in this uh, interview in the cool. show notes. Um, tell us how we can get a hold of you. Just 
from your yeah, end? Yeah, so, so you can go to our website, uh, www.makingtracks.co, not .com, .co. We have a Discord channel, Making Tracks Earth Education. Um, our whole community is online there. We send updates and coupons there. Uh, Making Tracks Earth Education on Facebook and Instagram. Making Tracks EE on TikTok. Technically, we have a YouTube and Pinterest. They're just not that active. You can contact us at info@makingtracks.co. Our phone number and, and all that information is on our website. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. I'm really, yeah, definitely. really, I love doing, love this. And uh, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for doing me what on. you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator, nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.